is when you get to an activity that you hear that has elicited resistance in your life, I want you to raise your hand, okay? That's how we're gonna do this, okay? The pursuit of any calling in writing, painting, music, film, dance, or any creative art, however marginal or unconventional. You feel any resistance in that in your life? What about the launching of any entrepreneurial venture or enterprise for profit or otherwise? Any diet or health regimen? <laughs> Same. Any program of spiritual advancement? Any activity whose aim is tighter abdominals? <laughs> yes. Any course or program designed to overcome an unwholesome habit or addiction? Education of every kind. Any act of political, moral, or ethical courage, including the decision to change for the better some unworthy pattern of thought or conduct in ourselves. The undertaking of any enterprise or endeavor whose aim is to help others. Any act that entails commitment of the heart, the decision to get married, to have a child, to weather a rocky patch in a relationship the taking of any principled stand in the face of adversity. In other words, any act that, re that rejects immediate gratification in favor of long-term growth, health, or integrity, or expressed another way, any act that derives from our higher nature instead of our lower, any of these will elicit resistance. What you guys have just indicated, right, with the raising of your hands, is that anything in life that is worth doing is always going to encounter resistance. That's a true fact of being a person. That's not even a true fact of being a Christian person. That's just a true fact of being a person, right? But what we've been talking about as we've been working through the book of Nehemiah is that what we see is that God has actually called us as his people into this story arc that stretches all of human history and that what God is doing in the world is that he is restoring the world that he created. He's redeeming it. He's reconciling it to himself. And that his aim is to bring about a, a holy people who are worshiping a holy God in a holy city. But that is a good thing. And that he has called us through Christ to participate in that work. And what we see today in our text is that that work, participating in that work, will always elicit resistance. Always. It's a guarantee. And it's important that we recognize that because if we, if we don't recognize that in our lives, what's going to happen is that when we come up against resistance in living our Christian lives, we're going to think that something is wrong but coming up against resistance in our Christian lives doesn't mean something is wrong. Often, it's an indicator that we're actually following God right where he's calling us. Now, what we're gonna see in our passage this morning is what it looks like to encounter resistance. And then we're gonna talk about what it looks like to resist resistance, okay, or to respond to the resistance that we encounter in our lives. So jo Joanna's gonna come up for us. Joanna Cole, and read our scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can flip open to Nehemiah 4. We're gonna be in verses one through 14. Yeah, it was, it got moved off the stand. Here we go. 
Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that we were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God to set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, and to the officials and to the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Thanks, Julia. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful that you uh, have, have written yourself into the story of this world, Lord, and that you desire to speak to us through it. So I ask that you would do that this morning, that you'd be showing us, Lord, what it looks like to encounter resistance, and that you'd be strengthening us to respond to that in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so it's interesting, as we were reading through that list of ways and places that we've encountered resistance, I think all, all of you raised your hand at some point, and if you didn't, that's probably just because you were choosing not to participate. So I'm assuming, right, that we have all, in some way, encountered resistance in our lives. And like we said, this is, this is especially true as we step into the story of what God is writing, in, that God is writing in the world. And we see that here in Nehemiah. We see it in verses one through three that we just read. There's this guy, Sanballat. He shows up again and again in Nehemiah as kind of the, the arch villain of the people. When he heard that, that, the, that they were building the wall, it says he, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. So he starts making fun of them, kind of taunting them. And they, they get wind of it. They, they have like heard all the things that he's saying about them. What are they doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? And then his friend, Tobiah, who I guess is his sidekick is standing nearby, he says, oh yeah, look at their wall. If a fox goes up on it, it's gonna fall down. That's how weak and feeble their efforts are. Grade A taunt right there, right? If a fox goes up on it, it's gonna fall down. And then we see in verses seven and eight that that, that resistance gets ratcheted up. So in response to kind of the taunts, the people, they aren't deterred. Uh, they continue to build the wall and they see the breaches being closed and then 
their enemies get even more angry. And when it talks about the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, what, what it's saying, what the text is saying is that the, the people of, of Jerusalem are actually surrounded by their enemies. And this made their enemies very angry, and so they plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it. And this isn't the first time that resistance has shown up in the book. Back in chapter 2, verse 10, as soon as kind of the rebuilding starts, there's Sambalot and Tobiah again. And it displeased them greatly, it says, that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And then down in verse 19 in chapter 2, it says, again, as soon as they heard the rebuilding has, had started to happen, they, they jeered and despised the Jews. And it isn't in there. That you can fast forward into chapter 6, and there's more resistance that comes from their enemies. And then chapter 13, there's more resistance that comes against the people. And so we see that resistance isn't only this internal thing that we feel inside of us, but there are actually external forces that are pushing against the work of God in the world. And that's not just an Old Testament thing, okay? Jesus, Jesus himself tells us to expect it in John 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And all of John 16 is about that. Jesus is pulling apart all of the ways that following him is gonna invite trouble and resistance into our lives. So as we step into the work of rebuilding, of being a holy people, right? Of bringing about change in our city, wanting to see our city become more righteous and more just, that what we're gonna encounter is resistance. And part of that is from an enemy. What scripture is really clear about is that there is an enemy at, at work in our world who hates the work of God. You might know him as uh, the devil or Satan. Scripture also talks about forces of darkness in our world, and that may sound kind of weird to you. But the worldview of Scripture very consistently is that as God is, is, is real, right, that there are other spiritual forces in the world as well. That it's not God engaging in a purely material world, but that there's a spiritual world that interacts with our physical world. And just as there's a God who we believe is good and, and for light and love in our world, but there are forces of darkness that are against those things and push against those things. That there's an opposing force. And I've said it once, but I'll, I'll say it again. It's so important that we know to expect this resistance in our lives because if we don't expect it, when we come up against resistance in our Christian life, we're gonna think that something is wrong. And resistance does not mean that something is wrong. Resistance may mean that we're following God in exactly into the place that he's called us to, to live in and to walk in. It could mean that we're moving in the right direction. So there's, there are external forces of opposition arrayed against us. And at the same time, those external forces of opposition can often express themselves internally. And what happens is we can end up becoming, in a very subtle way, our own worst enemies. We end up working for our own defeat, and we do what we see the Jews doing here in this, in this passage. So in the first few verses, right, as they're being taunted, uh, they're, they're undeterred. They're able to keep building the wall, and the wall's being joined together. Everything seems to be going smoothly despite all the things that we're hearing. But then, kind of as the, as the heat gets ratcheted up, we get verse 10, and it says, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
Nothing has changed in their circumstances. In no way has their enemy engaged them in physical combat. But what's happened is the, th the threats that they're constantly under, uh, constantly under have started to wear them down, and they're now saying in their own words what their enemies have been saying about them. It happens in verse 12. The Jews who live around them come from all these directions, and they, and they come to them and say, you've got to return to us, you've got to leave off, you've got to stop this work because it's bringing threats upon us. So again, the people are saying in their own words what their enemies have been saying the whole time. Do you think that has any analogy to the Christian life? Absolutely it does. That when you turn to Christ in your life, when you are in Christ, you have everything that you need for life and godliness. Do you know that? Scripture promises that that is true. You've been given everything that you need for life and godliness. That when you are united to Christ through faith, there is no blessing that he withholds from you. There is nothing good that he keeps back. That everything that is Christ is yours through Christ. You have been given Holy Spirit power in your life. That's true about you. And your enemy can't take that away. Peter talks about our enemy prowling around us like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour but he can't devour you. What often happens, though, is his roars are so loud that, that we forget what's most true about us in Christ. That he can make us forget what we've been given, that we become ineffective, Peter says, in the way that we would live out of our Christian life because we've forgotten what's been given to us. That's why our enemy is called uh, the father of lies or an accuser of the brethren, right? A deceiver. There's this woman, Emma Scribner, I was reading a, a blog from her this week, and she was talking about how Satan has a forked tongue, how he speaks out of both sides of his mouth, and that the temptation that we're always gonna encounter from our enemy, our spiritual enemy, but this is also just true about the voices in the world that we're constantly hearing. It's saying two things, always. One of the things that the world will always tell us is that, hey, the work of God is not that important. It doesn't really matter. What really matters is you getting what you can in this life you're living as comfortably as possible. That it'll lull you to sleep thinking that, that the work of God doesn't matter or that the work of God is too hard for you to engage in, so just take what you can get. And I'll tell you, sin, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. It's not worth fighting in your life. But then, as soon as you give up the fight against sin, right, and you let it into your heart, and you see it and notice it, what does the enemy do? then he pounces on you as an accuser. So you've experienced him as a deceiver, and then you experience him as, as the accuser who stands in front of you and says, oh, that you would sin like that? Do you really think that God could love you? Do you really think that God could use you? Do you really think the gospel is for you? Look at what you've done. Did he start slamming you with I shoulds until you're shoulding all over yourself? right? He doesn't have to say it anymore because now you're saying it to you. That we start telling ourselves the things that Satan has been telling us the whole time. That we're pummeling ourselves and beating ourselves down, discouraging ourselves. That as an antidote to the fear that we feel in our lives, that we become blinded, that we willfully blind ourselves by the comfort and the luxury around us. 
that we can become consumed with self-pity and with shame. And what that does is it leads us into this place of choosing the path of least resistance, right? Like water flowing downhill, that we're trying to figure out what is the way that I can just get through, through this life with as little resistance as possible. But when we're doing that, what we do is we step out of the stream of God's work in the world. That, we've, that we've, if, if, if being a part of God's work is like being a kayak, right, out in the middle of a current, that what we do when we're trying to get away from the resistance is we pull ourselves over, but we end up taking ourselves out of the stream of what God is doing in the world. And so what the scripture does for us is it calls us to wake up. And it says, hey, you need to expect resistance. You need to expect resistance in the world and know that when you're pushing up resistance in your own heart and in your own life, that it might be an indication that you're right where God is calling you. Right? Like if you are trying to live an emotionally healthy life, if you're trying to love the people around you well without sabotaging yourself with all of your self-love in the middle of all of that, is that gonna face resistance in your life? Yeah, it is. But is that what God is calling us into? Yes, right? If you have sin in your life that you've acknowledged and you've said, man, this is not good for me. I wanna put this down. Is there gonna, are you gonna encounter resistance in your life in that? Absolutely. Because you're doing something that God is calling you into. If you are gonna fight for justice in this city, if you're gonna fight for mercy in this city, yes, those are gonna be places that you are gonna encounter resistance and that is a good thing. It's an indicator that you're moving in the right direction. So this passage calls us to acknowledge that we're gonna experience resistance in the Christian life. But the good news is it doesn't just leave us there, okay? Because it also encourages us, it teaches us, and points us to Christ and thinking about how we would go about pushing against this resistance, resisting the resistance, or responding to it in our lives. And we see that really clearly in verse 14 of this passage. Because then I looked and arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, this is Nehemiah speaking, he says, do not be afraid of them. Which I always love it when scripture says do not be afraid because what that reminds me is that the people in the Bible were afraid. Like, oh, this is so encouraging because I'm afraid a lot of the time. Are you ever afraid? Yeah. And that Nehemiah would tell the people, do not be afraid, is an acknowledgement that the fear that we experience is a very real thing. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So we're gonna talk about how we resist resistance by remembering, it's a lot of R's, resist resistance by remembering and how we resist resistance by fighting. So Nehemiah tells the people, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Okay, one of the things you need to know about scripture is that scripture is full of hyperlinks, right? Or links, I guess we just call them now, like you see on the internet. It's like a, it's like a giant Wikipedia page. And that all throughout scripture, right, uh, there are all of these connections back to other parts of scripture. And so when you come across phrases that are from other parts of scripture, uh, the author is not just directing you to those specific words or like that quote in a different place, but the author is directing you to, it's like finding a new Wikipedia page. You wanna read the whole page, right? So he's direct, he, the author is directing us back to a, a different part of scripture and he wants us to pull that full context of that scripture into where we are now. And when Nehemiah talks about the Lord who is great and awesome, He's using a name for God that's used back in Deuteronomy 7. 
I know, you're all like, oh, right, of course, Deuteronomy 7. No, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about what Deuteronomy 7 is about. Okay, in this part of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving sermons to the people of Israel, right? All the people who had rebelled against God have died in the wilderness, and Moses is about to die himself. And he's prepping the people of Israel to walk into the promised land. And so he's telling them about who God is. And one of the things that is a huge theme throughout this section of Deuteronomy is this theme, remember. Moses is telling the people, remember, 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 remember your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Remember your God who fought for you and delivered you. And he tells the people, that is the God that's gonna fight for you in the promised land. Remember. And he tells the people, your God fought for you and he fights for you because of the promises he's made to you. That he's full of steadfast love for you. And he tells them about their enemies. This is back in Deuteronomy 7, 23. He says, you shall not be in dread of them for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. And the image that Moses is pulling on, that Nehemiah is pulling on, is this image of God as our divine warrior. That God is amongst his people, that he's fighting for his people, that he's done it before and that he'll do it again because he's promised to to finish the work that he started. That he is committed to this work of seeing a holy people worshiping a holy God in a holy city. And we see that most clearly in Christ who is our warrior king. Think about when Jesus is on the earth and he's doing his earthly ministry. That what we see Jesus doing is walking around casting out demons. That he's triumphing over darkness in all of its forms and sickness and in death. He's overcoming temptation for us in a way that the first Adam failed to do. And we see it most clearly at his death and his resurrection. Because on the cross, what Jesus did is he defeated sin and death, our ultimate enemies. He struck the winning blow against them and he freed us from the power of sin. Colossians 2.15 talks about how at, at the crucifixion, Jesus openly put to shame the evil powers and authorities in this world. That's what our warrior king has done for us. He's fought against sin and death. And he's taken away the weapons that our enemy wants to wield against us. And this helps us, I think, understand what it means to encounter resistance or to resist God. That resistance, when it's in our own hearts, when it's in the hearts of of people, when it's in our world, that the resistance is is not against Christianity. It's not resistance against a system of belief. It's not resistance against a political platform. It's not resistance primarily against a worldview. The resistance is against a person and it's against the person of Jesus Christ. It's against the person of Jesus Christ and it's against his values and his work in the world. Values and work that are driven by love. Think about John 3.16, right? Maybe you'll see it on somebody's eye black today when you watch football. Probably not, but anyway. Uh, but the God so the God so what? Love the world. That he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life because he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but to save it. 
you gotta remember that when we're talking about resistance, we're not talking about two, and this is kind of the way we talk about it usually in our world, is we've got you know, people with all these different views and everyone kind of has some merit to their view and it's all coming from a place that's deeply rooted in their experience, so how can you really say that one side that's fighting against this other side is actually better? And, and we're, we see, and this is often true in our world, that all the sides that are fighting for various things all have the things about them that uh, are worth fighting against in some way. But, but that's not true when, when, we're, when we're talking about Christ. That his agenda in the world is, a, is an agenda of redemption. It's an agenda of reconciliation, right? It's an agenda of restoration. It's an agenda of love. That is what our warrior king is about in this world, and that's why it's good for us that he's a king who fights for us and on our behalf. That he's against all of those forces that would resist love and redemption and reconciliation in our world. That's why scripture calls him the Lion of Judah, that he's fierce in his opposition to those things. the lion and the lamb go together in the message of the gospel. And in John 16, 33, where Jesus tells us, in this world you will have trouble, he also tells us, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. That's his promise to us, that we can take heart because he has overcome the world. That sin and death were defeated at the cross, and we look forward to the day when he returns, and we see the war totally and finally won. When we are with him as a holy people, worshiping a holy God in a holy city, full of justice and righteousness and mercy, that our world is set back to the way that it was created to be. And he promises us that day is coming. I've overcome the world. And so when Nehemiah tells us to remember, he's telling us to remember that king that he only saw in part, but that we see in full. That the primary way that we push back against the resistance that we experience in our own lives is remembering that king. What he's done for us, who he is for us, that his heart toward us is always good. And this actually guides us in the second part of, of, of how we resist the resistance in our lives, which is fighting. So we remember and then we fight. One of the primary places that we're called to fight is in the internal battle against the resistance that takes place in us, in our own hearts. But it is important that you would stop speaking the lies of the enemy to yourself. And that what you would hear instead is what's true about you in Christ. And we can talk about that. Let's just use shame as an example. You've all experienced that, right? That when you do something that you know is wrong, that what's so easy to do is to let that drive you into this place of self-pity and, and turning inward and saying, oh, well, you know what? I can't come and talk to God yet because I haven't done enough penance. I haven't beat myself up enough, beat myself up enough to prove to him that I'm really sorry for what I've done. Guys, that is ridiculous. That is not the gospel. What's true in Christ is that when you sin, Jesus doesn't love you any less. That's actually a place that he moves towards you with all of his love and grace and mercy. Just in that place. 
So you choosing to fight against shame and the messages that shame would tell you is so important for you knowing more deeply what is fully yours in Jesus Christ. And you need other people to be involved in that battle with you, absolutely. One of my mentors always tells us that uh, your mind is a dark place. It's like a, it's like a dark street, a dangerous alley. You should never go there alone, right? That you need people who are here who would be able to help you walk into those lies that you experience and tell you the truth. But those friends cannot fight this battle for you. They can't. You've gotta be willing to pick up the truth of the gospel, what is true about you in Christ, the promises of God, and apply them to your own life. Sometimes that's true in a very active way of going to the scriptures that speak clearly to the lies that you're hearing and to remind yourself of what is true. And sometimes it looks like basking in the glow and the sun of God's love for you, even when it feels hard to believe it or to feel it. It's a very real internal battle that you are being called to fight against the lies of the enemy that would want to keep you down and keep you f- make you be unfruitful or ineffective in the work that God has called us to in this world. There's an internal element to how we would fight, and there are also external elements to that that the ways that we engage in our world, that we would be a people who have been so freed by the love of Christ that we're actually able to look outside of ourselves. That's good news, right? I'll tell you what, I'm sick of thinking about myself this much. That's true as we go about this work of rebuilding this congregation. In a lot of ways, we've been talking about this some lately on our team, that, that we're in a place of replanting this church. What a beautiful adventure in this quasi-COVID world, that we're trying to figure out what does it look like for us here to be the church together in East Nashville? And that you engaging in worship of the Lord here on Sunday mornings, that's a part of that. You being involved in Kid Town in the back on Sunday mornings so people can be here worshiping, it's a part of that. What you're doing in your small groups throughout the week, it's part of that. The ways that you're involved in justice and mercy justice and mercy ministry out in our city, it's a part, that's all a part of that. You speaking the name of Jesus to the people around you is part of that. This work of rebuilding and fighting for the gospel. And the ways that we, f- that we f- fight, the way that we resist resistance, it has to be shaped by the person and the work of Jesus. That if Jesus was able to conquer sin and death through the power of, his, of the cross, through weakness and humiliation or suffering, certainly it is good enough for us, isn't it? That that's the way that he has called us to engage with all of these things out in our world. We were talking this week about uh, there was a, a church in Germantown two weeks ago that had a Molotov cocktail thrown into it. Uh, And the church didn't burn down completely, but the smoke kind of ruined all their furniture and everything. It's gonna take a while for them to kind of be back to where they were. Here in Nashville, two weeks ago. And this is how their pastor, uh, this is what he had to say after, after that experience. He says, we're not receiving it as an attack. We're receiving it as a gift. It's a gift from the Lord to, re- to remind us of our mission, of why we're here in Nashville. And it's affirming that we're in the right place. The church exists because this stuff exists. 
And this clarifies the need for the mission of the church. He said this difficult moment serves as a reminder of that mission. I told my staff before we talked to the media that this is proof we're needed here. I'm not looking at this as persecution. I'm not looking at this as we're victims. We're going to have trouble in this life, so these things should never surprise us. In light of this, we're being reminded of our purpose, our mission, and the necessity for us to be right here. I have never been more excited than I am right now in the life of our church. I'm super pumped about what God is doing through this situation. Our message to this perpetrator is, don't come through the window, come through the door. That's what it looks like, that's what it sounds like when we're fighting not with the weapons of this world, not with the power that this world tells us is the only way to get anything done, but when we're fighting in the way that our Jesus has given to us. And that's why we're gonna start doing this prayer on Thursday mornings. Nothing, there is no weapon in the Christian arsenal that feels sillier than prayer, right? But us taking the time uh, to speak what we desire to see in the world, uh, to believe that that's effective? That's ridiculous. But it's an act of faith because God promises us that he desires and delights in answering and hearing our prayers. He has promised us that it's a way that he works and so we engage in prayer as an act of faith. As a weapon of weakness because it shows how uh, unable we are to accomplish the work of God on our own and how dependent we are on him to see the kingdom come in our world. I just want to invite you as a part of how we're practicing resisting resistance and responding to it in our world that you join us for these prayer Zooms on Thursday morning. I figured, you know, I like being in person, but I figured trying to get people here on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. was gonna be impossible. So Zoom it is, okay? It is good for some things we've discovered through this. Uh, And I'm excited to be, like this pastor says, a part of this journey with you guys. This would be a part of who we are as a community, that we're a people who get to resist uh, the resistance in our world and fight for the love and the grace, the kingdom of Jesus to come uh, more and more here in East Nashville. So pray with me. Father, we're so thankful for your a redemptive, reconciling, restorative work, Lord, in our own lives. And Jesus, we confess uh, the resistance that so often slows us down, Lord, is deep inside of us. It's in our flesh that wages war against you and the Spirit in our own lives, God. It's in the lies that we believe from our enemy. It's in the voices that we hear all around us from the world. And Jesus, we pray that you would make us strong, even as we worship you this morning, uh, as we as we move out to resist uh, the forces of evil, Lord, and to participate in you bringing your kingdom more and more in East Nashville. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.